Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. We will be reading Hebrews 12, verses 4 through 11, if you'd like to read along with us. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Oh, yep. Kids, we didn't dismiss you. Go on. Go on, kids. If you have children uh, third to third gra- three to third grade, you can s- send them on back. All right. All right. Well, um, I, remember, I remember the day that I got my first car, 16 years old, and uh, it was a 1990 black two-door Toyota Celica. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was awesome, and, um, and I loved that car. I did everything I could possibly do for that car. I remember um, I, I washed it sometimes multiple times a week. I waxed it sometimes multiple times a week. Um, I put new wheels on it and tinted the windows, and I tried to make that 1990 Toyota Celica look as cool as possible. I vacuumed it out almost every single day, and, uh, and anything that I could think to do for that car and to maintain that car, I did. And, uh, and the reason I share that is just to point out the fact that uh, what we value, we give intentional, regular time to. What we value, we give intentional, regular time to. And, and that was my most valued possession at the time. And I think I loved that car more than anything else in the world <laughs> at the time. And so I gave regular, intentional, focused time to that car. And we naturally do this. We give regular, intentional, focused time to whatever it is that we value. So for you, that might be your career. For you, that might be a a hobby that you have. For you, it could be your physical fitness. For you, it could be a marriage or a relationship or a home But whatever it is, the things that you value get the most regular, intentional, focused time in your life. Um, Today, we are going to be talking about the Father. God is our Father. And we're going to be looking at how He parents us. But then also, for those who have children in the home or are about to have children in the home, we're also going to be connecting that to what we learn from how he parents us. And so this is a message that um, I think will be very practical and helpful for, for parents and for families, but 
don't tune me out if you are an empty nester or you're single or you're a kid, because what we're going to be talking about is going to apply to everyone today, because we're going to be looking at our God. We're going to be learning how he interacts with us, how he raises us up, and I think it's going to help us in how we respond to that raising, how we respond to that training that he gives to us. So pray with me, and uh, we'll, we'll dig into it. Father, God, we come before you this morning, and we remember that you are in the heavens and we are on earth, that you know all things and we know very little. <laughs> you know, we remember that you made us, you created us, and that you're the one who, who decides how things are to work. And you're the one who determines all truth. And so we come to you, God, just declaring our need for wisdom, our need for training, our need for understanding. We humble ourselves before you, God, remembering that you are sovereign, that you are all-powerful, that you are capable of all things. And we ask you, God, would you come in this place? Holy Spirit, we ask you, would you come in this place? And awaken those who are asleep and, and stir up those whose affections have grown cold. God, and would you bring clarity to those who've been confused and direction to those who have not known the way and salvation to those who are looking for you. Repentance to those who are trapped in patterns of sin. Forgiveness to us all, Lord. We ask that you would have your way with this time, that you would be greatly, greatly honored, our Father. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. So, before we get into, I have some points for those note takers uh, in the room. You can go ahead and get those pens out and get them ready. Um, <clears throat> before I get to my first point, I just want to kind of stir us up to seeing the importance <clears throat> of parenting, the importance of parenting. Um, the first thing I want to point out is that in Malachi 4, which is the last um, chapter of the Old Testament, before 400 years of silence, there's this prophecy that is given about John the Baptist who would come, who shows up 400 years later as the forerunner to Christ, okay? John the Baptist, if you've been in the church for a little, little while, you, you know some things about him. He's the forerunner to Christ. He comes preaching repentance. I mean, his ministry is powerful. Jesus calls him the, most, the, the, the greatest man ever born of a woman. So he's like, he's like great. He's incredible. His ministry is incredibly successful. Many people come to him out in the wilderness to hear him preach and teach. Even the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders are even coming to check him out, hear what he has to say. People's lives are being transformed. People are being baptized by him in the Jordan. And their lives are being transformed. People are beginning to repent. And, and, and the whole purpose of it, he has the most important ministry, you could say, that any prophet ever had. He is preparing the world, the culture, for the Messiah. He's getting them ready for him. Now, you can't have a more important ministry than that. And the Bible says that he comes in the spirit and power of Elijah, who is considered like the most powerful prophet. And so he comes, and, and, and the culture gets transformed. The landscape of the, the culture gets transformed because of his ministry. And do you want to hear when the Old Testament prophesies what's going to come when he comes, what he's going to produce? Do you want to hear the summary of his incredible ministry? This is what it says. Malachi 4, 6. Read it with me. It says this, And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children 
and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Wow. When God, because all Scripture is God-breathed, so when God thinks about the impact that John the Baptist, the forerunner to Christ, will have on the world, this is what he thinks of. There's going to be a change in the families. There's going to be a change in the way that parents and children relate to each other. You, you see what I'm getting at here? This is massive in the heart of God. In um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, you get this description of what's going to happen in the last days and, and the way that the, the world is going to be just so godless. And then in the middle of, as you're reading about how godless the culture is going to be, you hear all these descriptors, then you, then you hear this one. Children will be disobedient to their parents. We can't imagine that world, can we? <laughs> Can you imagine a world where children are disobedient to their parents? That's the way the biblical writers think. It's going to get so bad that children will be disobedient to their parents. We consider it the norm. And so my point is just to say this. When the world gets so bad that Jesus is about to come back, one of the descriptors of the culture is that children will be disobedient to parents. When the culture gets so bad that the Lord is about to strike the land with a decree of utter destruction, the only thing that can save it is if a prophet would come and turn the hearts of fathers back to children and the children's hearts to fathers. And so, I just, before we dive into the, the father heart of God and the way that he fathers us and considering how important it is that we as parents learn from his example, I just want to raise the, raise the bar for us, help us to see, like, this is so important in the heart and mind of God. The next generation being raised up to obey their parents, to love and know the Lord, is so important in the heart of God. And the culture that we see today, the world around us, is evidence of the fact that this hasn't been valued enough for us, and that there's some real changes that we need to make. There's some real changes that we need to make, and there's real changes that we need to make in the church. Um, right now, there are statistics that show between 70 and 80 percent of children who are raised in the church in Christian homes are walking away from the faith by the end of their freshman year of college. 70 to 80 percent. And so we, the church, we're not doing a whole lot better than the rest of the world. And so we have got to think through this. What needs to change? We need to make radical shifts. And I believe that the beginning is for us, for all of us, not just those of us who are currently raising children in the home, but for all of us to get a fresh passion for training up the next generation. We must first gain this passion. The hearts of fathers, and I would say of mothers as well, need to be turned to their children. And then children, their hearts, turn to their parents. And where do we look? I mean, who knows how to do this? How can we find the right answers? Where do we look? We look to the Word of God. God's Word is sufficient for these things. It says in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, that all Scripture is God-breathed, so it's God's Word, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, let's think about this. If we could just train our children, teach them, reprove them, correct them, and train them in righteousness to the point where they were complete and equipped for every good work, wouldn't you say that we were doing our jobs? Yes. And so the scriptures are sufficient. It's where we look, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the scriptures. We're going to look at our Father and His example. So here is my first point for those who are note-takers. Um, our role as parents is imitation. Our role is to imitate the Father God. The training of our children for godliness is the God-given, God-reflecting role. It is the God-given, God-reflecting role of all fathers and mothers. Ephesians 5.1 tells us to be imitators of God as beloved children. We are to imitate our Father. We are beloved children, and our job is to imitate our Father. Father. So naturally, as we think about parenting, the first place we need to look is, Father, how do you do this? How do you do this? In Ephesians 6, 4, it tells us fathers are not to provoke their children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this is how our father does it. Anything that he commands us to do, he does perfectly. And so he trains us up, brings us up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we're going to be thinking about and looking at this, this word discipline a lot. So I want to clarify exactly what that means because it's not maybe as narrow as you think of it. You may think of discipline like corrective discipline, like a punishment for something, and that's not what we're talking about. This word discipline in the Greek is padeia, and it means the whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals. So that word discipline is much broader than we might think. So the Father instructs us to do this, and He does this for us. He, he brings us up in the whole training and education, to cultivate our mind and morals. And then that word instruction is a very, very similar word in the Greek, so similar that they sometimes are chain interchangeable. Um, but it includes rebukes and warnings and reprimands as well as exhortations. And so we're going to be looking at this word discipline a lot. Um, we're going to be focusing on that passage that we heard read in Hebrews 12. And you, and you may have noticed that the word discipline comes up a lot. And so when you hear it, I want you to hear this. The whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals. So, our role is to imitate God in our parenting. And now let's look at Hebrews 12 together, and we're going to start pulling out some principles from parenting, of parenting that we see in our Father. Uh, first of all, we need to know the goal. Our Father's goal in parenting us is holiness. So that's my second point for you note-takers. Our Father's goal is holiness. Look at verse 4 in this passage. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And then he goes into this about being treated as sons. So the, the context here is resisting sin. And then we read down in verse um, 10 and 11, They disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his Holiness. This is why we experience the whole training and education that the Father gives to us. Is it is for our holiness. This is His goal. 
His goal is holiness. Or you could say his goal is righteousness. In verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is our Father's goal in parenting us. And so when we think about parenting our kids, we need to have the same goal. When God disciplines us, there is both corrective discipline and formative discipline. So corrective discipline is the discipline that the Father uses when we get off the path of righteousness. Okay, it says in Proverbs 4.11, do not enter the path of the wicked. So imagine that you are on a path following the Lord, and when you, when you sin, you step off of the path of righteousness. Corrective discipline is the Lord then, because he loves you, remember, because it's for your good, he gets you back onto the path of righteousness, moving toward holiness. And then there's formative discipline. Formative discipline is the discipline that the Father used to, to keep us on the path of righteousness. So corrective is in response to sin. Formative is seeing the, the, the temptations to sin down the road and saying, let me prepare you for what's ahead. Let me help you to stay on the path. You see that? And so it's important that we understand that there is there, there are both corrective discipline from the Father and formative discipline. Um, Psalm 25.4 says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. That's formative discipline. Teach me your paths. Help me to stay on it. His corrective discipline um, can be avoided many times if we will repent. You see, repentance is when you judge yourself rightly and you walk back over and get on the path of your own volition. And corrective discipline comes when we don't see it, we don't recognize it, and we're headed for destruction. And our loving Father says, oh, we're, we're heading for a cliff here. Let's get back on the path of righteousness. Our role then as parents is to discipline, train, corrective discipline, and formative discipline our children for the same goal, for holiness. For holiness. That is the goal of parenting. And I, and I bring that up because I think it is so easy, even for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're Christians, and we say, I want to raise my children in the faith. It's so easy to forget what the real goal of parenting is. We can so easily get persuaded by the world that the real goal of parenting is something else. That, that it's to give our children the best opportunity to achieve the American dream. That the goal of parenting is, is to give them as many opportunities or, or maybe the opportunities I never had as a kid. Or the goal of parenting is to make my kids as happy as they can possibly be. Or the goal of parenting is to, to make sure that my kids make the best living that they can make when they're grown. Have the best education that they can possibly have. Whatever our goals are that are not that they would become holy as he is holy, that they would be formed into Christ-like character. Those are the wrong goals in parenting. And so, when we, when we lose sight of the real goal, we are going to be moving in the wrong direction. You cannot move in the right direction unless you have the right goal. And so we need to use the same kind of training and discipline that our Father uses. We need to use corrective discipline to, to train our kids when they sin. When they sin, not when they frustrate us. And I know I'm not the only parent who's ever done this. 
But there are, there are times when we slip into the habit of only disciplining them when we're frustrated, which is actually when we, it's the last time we should discipline our kids because we're unqualified at that point, because we're walking in the flesh at that point. But, but here's the thing. What, what oftentimes happens for parents is we don't discipline until it really rubs us the wrong way. And so what can happen is that we either discipline because we are frustrated and we shouldn't have disciplined them. So, for example, let's say you've had a long day. You're, you're, you're ready to be in bed, but there's still three hours left. And you still got to make dinner for everybody, and there's still a huge mess everywhere. And you got an email that you still have to send out. And your kid comes up and asks you something for the third time. And they didn't sin, but they frustrated you, and now you snap on them. And now you've disciplined them for the wrong thing, and you're actually the one who's sinned. So we don't discipline for frustration, we discipline for sin. What this also means is that there are going to be times when we should discipline them, and we don't. Because let's say it's Saturday, and the Georgia Bulldogs are playing. Uh, That's a college football team, for those of you who don't know. And you have been looking forward to this all week, and and they're playing well. You know, they're playing well because... That's what they do. <laughs> and you're sitting with your lazy boy propped up, feet up, feeling good. You got a root beer in your hand. <laughs> and your kids are fighting with each other, but you don't care <laughs> because George is winning and you got a root beer in your hand. Right? And so you don't discipline because you're not frustrated, but they're in sin. And so it's your job right then to stop what you're enjoying and train them. Train them, love them, teach them. And so this is how it transforms the way we parent. We have to start thinking, my, my goal here is holiness. And so when I see sin in my kids, that's what I need to use corrective discipline for. And the goal of corrective discipline is not punishment. Listen to me. Discipline is not punishment. It is not punishment. The goal or the aim of discipline, I should say, is restoration. God doesn't punish you for your sins. You know he's already done that, that he poured out punishment on your sins on his son Jesus on the cross. And he will not punish those sins again. He will not. And and so your your role as a God-reflecting parent is to do the same. Your role, you don't punish sin. You, You correct it. For the sake of restoration, remember, it's to get them back on the path of righteousness. And so our corrective discipline is for restoration. And we're looking, we're looking for sins of the heart first. This is how Jesus operated. We're not looking, we're not waiting until they go do some blatant thing. We're looking first for the early sign. We're looking for pride. We're looking for selfishness. We're looking for when they're treating their siblings unkindly. We're looking for self-pity. We're looking to to parent the sins out of them that are in the heart. And so if the goal is holiness, we are looking to the heart first. And then it also means that we use formative discipline. Informative discipline is a way of guarding our children from destruction down the road. And so what do I mean by formative discipline? I mean training them up in the faith. So this means training them for self-control. The Proverbs say that a person without self-control is like a city without walls. What does that mean? That means that any rogue desire or temptation can come in and have its way and destroy a life. 
So a child that is raised never learning self-control has no protection, no barriers against every whim and every desire and every temptation that, is, that he or she is going to face. And so we, we discipline them up in self-control for their good. It means that we're training their minds for action against all of the deceit that the devil and that their flesh and that the world is going to throw at them. We're building for them a worldview that's comprehensive, that is built upon the truths of the Word of God. We're protecting them already now by training them up into a comprehensive worldview. We're protecting them from the destructive ideologies and the destructive ideas that are going to come in and threaten their faith and threaten their relationship with God. It means that we're training them up in spiritual disciplines like Bible reading and memorization and prayer and fellowship because we know that those habits of grace will keep them close to God as they go through adulthood. You see, we are not raising children. We are raising adults. And so the question is, what does a healthy adult look like? Not what, is a, what, does a chi- what should a child look like or what should a child do. What does a healthy adult look like? I'm, I'm trying to get my children to become adults before they leave my house. Because it's a, it's a scary world out there and I don't want to send some kids out there. I want to send some mature, ready, trained up men and women into the world to affect the world for the kingdom of God. It means training them up in good manners and respect for authority while they still are under our authority. When the the only consequence for them being rude and not respecting my authority is some some small discipline that happens in the home and not jail time or not the loss of their license or not the not the flunking grade in their class. And so we train our kids up with the same goal that our Father has for us, using corrective discipline and formative discipline in the lives of our kids. My next point for those note takers is that our Father's involvement is total. Our Father's involvement is total. Look at verses 6 through 8 in Hebrews 12. It says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline. It is for training, the whole training of the child that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Our father's discipline of us is evidence of belonging in his family. It's evidence that we are his, that we belong there. If we we don't have his discipline in our lives which all have participated, then we would be illegitimate children and not sons. Some of you, perhaps you grew up with absent dads, dads who weren't in the home at all. Or maybe you grew up with a dad who was in the home but just wasn't there. He'd come home and kind of prop his feet up and, and, and just watch TV the whole evening. This is not the kind of father that our God is. No, he is, he is very involved in your life. His involvement in your life is total. And so when you think about how does he then discipline me, I can't remember him ever appearing to me and telling me that I'm doing something wrong. Well, look closer at verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. You have to endure. The context is you have to endure hostility from sinners. That's the context of this chapter. But what 
what does he mean when he says you have to endure and then he doesn't fill in that blank? He means you have to endure everything. Everything. In other words, your Father in heaven who loves you and who is training you is using absolutely everything in your life. Everything to train you for holiness. James 1, verses 2 through 4, say this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet some trials, when you meet the trials that you're sure are from God. Mm, No. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How does our loving Heavenly Father train His children? It is through all the circumstances of your life. It is through every single difficulty. It is through trials of various kinds. That's everything from the stiff back in the morning to the cold that you get to the irritating coworker and even to the loss even to the loss of a loved one. It says in Psalm 139:16, "All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. All of my days were planned. So what does that do for me? Wow, well, it helps me to endure. It helps me to endure because now all of a sudden the trials that I face, the difficulties that I face, how can I, how can I encounter those with joy? Because I know there is purpose in it all. There's purpose in every single trial in my life. How do we not grow weary when reproved by him, as it says in verse 5? Because we realize that God is treating us as sons and daughters, as it says in verse 7. He's treating us like family. He's treating us like he treats every single one whom he adopts. You see, our Father has eternity in view. And he is preparing you for an eternity with him in his family. And so these light and momentary afflictions, they are preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. See, perspective, when you see that the thing that I'm facing is not pointless, nothing comes into my life that does not first pass through the hand of a sovereign God. There is purpose in it all. All of it is meant to train me. He's fully invested in my training and education and preparation for eternity. If even Christ, the founder of our salvation, was made perfect through suffering, as it says in Hebrews 2, then we will be also. And so we get these encouragements so that we can bear up under trials, so that we aren't weary when reproved by Him. God loves you enough to train you. He loves you enough to not let you stay where you are. He loves me enough to to parent the sin and the destructive stuff out of my life. And that is so encouraging. He's not the uninvolved father 
is totally invested, and he is making you into something. He, he, he sees your redemptive potential, and he is fully invested in bringing that out of you. So our father's investment is total, or his involvement is total, and that means that as parents, we need to be fully, fully invested in preparing our children the best that we can for the world out there. Now, obviously, when I say that, I understand that there are different households with different situations, and there are single-parent homes, and there are different situations that mean that looks differently. But the point is that we are doing the best we can with what we've been given to prepare our children. We are trying to model our perfect father's parenting of us, his full and total involvement in our lives. We are trying to model that by being as involved as possible in training up our children so that they too can reach their redemptive potential. We see in verse 8, it says, If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, not training our children is as bad as disowning them. That's what that scripture is saying. If our father spent no time in training us up, it would mean we were illegitimate. And so training our children lets them know that they belong, that they are loved, that we care, that they are worth our investment. Final uh, point. Final point is that our Father's method is discomfort. We just want to end on a, on a good note. Um, just to encourage you as we send you out. <laughs> no, we've already... We've already been kind of hitting on this. But look at verse 11. It says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. You know, anybody who's ever been involved in athletics or done strength training knows that if you don't, push your body to the point of discomfort, then it's not really doing anything for you. It's not getting you any better. And our spiritual lives are no different. Until we are pushed to the point of being uncomfortable, it's not really producing much in us. And so we... This helps us because when we recognize what we've been talking about, that it's all intentional, it's all from Him, He is training us, He's preparing us, then we can look and see that there's some good thing that's coming out of this. If you, if you work out, if you exercise, you, you put yourself, you choose to put yourself into extreme discomfort why? Because you believe that there's actually a reward at the end of it. You believe that, you know, the endorphins that it produces, it's worth it. Or that, or that the change that it makes in your health, is, it's worth it. Or the, or the muscle that it builds is worth it. Whatever it is that you're, you're going for, you will put yourself in a place of extreme discomfort for a time because you believe that in the end the results will be worth it. Now, do you think that a perfectly wise, a perfectly loving father doesn't see that the end results of our discomfort now are worth it? That what it's going to produce is worth the pain that we experience in the moment? Absolutely, he, he knows this. He, he would not put you through, your, if you are his child, he would not put you through something 
that did not have worthwhile results coming for you down the road. And so, yes, his method is discomfort, but when we can, when we can keep the, the end in mind, that later it's going to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness in my life if I will allow this thing to train me, for those who've been trained by it, then I can endure it. I need to make this point quickly. But what does this mean for us as parents? Well, it means, for one thing, that the discipline of our children has to sting or it won't be effective. What, I'm, what do I mean by that? Well, some of your, your minds immediately went to spanking. That's not necessarily what I mean. What I mean is that it, the, if your discipline is corrective in nature because there has been sin and you're trying to bring them back onto the path, it must produce discomfort in them or it will not be effective. We see this in the example of our Father. All discipline is painful in the moment. And so if, if our, if we, you know, if we are unwilling to make our kids uncomfortable as a consequence to their sin, we're not loving them like the Father loves us. We're not. And it won't produce any lasting change in them. It says in Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. To spare your child all discomfort, to spare your child some pain, some short-term pain because they've gotten off of the path of righteousness, is to say, I'm okay with you heading for destruction. That's why God says this. If we love our child, then we have to be diligent to discipline them. We ha- and that discipline has to sting a little or it won't produce anything in them. I'm running out of time. Let me wrap this up. What is our Father's motivation in all this? What is His motivation? We see that His discipline can be painful. We see that all of the trials that we meet in this life come through His hand first. But what is His motivation? Can we trust Him in this? Absolutely, His motivation is love. His motivation is love Verse 6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Our Father disciplines us purely because he loves us. And our role is to trust him in that, that he has an intentional plan. Before you were born, if you are a Christian, the Bible teaches that before you were born, God already chose you. He already adopted you. He saw you before you were formed in the womb, and He adopted you. He wrote in His book every day that was formed for you. Isn't that incredible? So from the very beginning... His fathering of you has been loving and intentional. It has been loving and intentional. It's made me think about Saul, the Apostle Paul, but before he became the Apostle Paul, his name was Saul. And it says in Acts 26, Paul is, this is later on, and he's retelling the story of how Jesus saved him. And so this is, his name was still Saul. And so Saul was on this road to Damascus, and he was, he was persecuting Christians. And Jesus appeared to him in bright light, so bright that it ended up, that it blinded him. And this is what Paul says that Jesus said to him. 
he said to him, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. The goads are uh, an animal prod made of iron to, to steer and to direct an animal that doesn't have the mind or the wisdom to know which way to go. He says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. To kick against the goads is a proverb that means to resist the direction of the master. As Jesus the Lord is trying to steer Saul, he's kicking against the goads. He is resisting. That means that God had been fathering him even before he was converted. God had been drawing him and he resisted. God had been speaking through circumstances and the situations that he faced and whatever else, and he resisted. He kicked against the goads until the Lord had to come and stop him in his tracks and blind him on the road to Damascus. So the question for us is, have you been kicking against the goads? As a good and loving father has been disciplining you, training you for righteousness, have you been allowing yourself to be trained by it, or have you been kicking against the goads? And my prayer this week has been that we would be a church that would yield and trust and surrender to a good God, to his good ways, so that he could produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness in us. Let's pray. Father, you are good. Your discipline of us is good and right, and we trust you, Father. We thank you that when we don't know the way, you do. And your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path so that we don't get off of the path of righteousness. And Lord, we thank you that when we do get off of the path of righteousness and we begin to head for destruction, that you get us back on the path. And we thank you that you are invested completely in our training. We thank you that you are forming us into the image of your Son, that you are training us up. I pray, Father, that you would help us to participate in the training process with you, to not kick against the goads, but to willingly receive your training. Lord, we ask that you would produce much fruit in this church as we begin to look around our lives and see your hand at work everywhere. In Jesus' name, amen.